We're in a season in Bethlehem right now that, uh, in spite of uh, what the weather has been for the last day or so, feels to some of us a lot like spring. And the reason it feels to me and, and others like spring is because we really believe that God has touched and guided the elders and the master planning team to uh, find, discover, and then to express in this little booklet a mission and a vision for our church that puts us on the front end or the brink of something very bright, beautiful, powerful, and lasting. And that's what spring is to me. I really believe that this is faithful to who God is and what his priorities are. And I believe it's authentic. And by authentic, that's one of my favorite words. What I mean by it is that uh, it is suited, it, it fits, it expresses truly who we are at this point in history, located in this particular metropolitan area, University, Phillips, Elliott Park, business, downtown, professional district, a little light industry there. Here, it fits us, Crossroads 35W and 94. It fits the uh, racial mix. It fits the cultural reality of decay and God neglect that abounds around us. It fits uh, this particular staff and elders. It fits, I believe, where God has been bringing this church for 125 years of, of glory and pain. If you take everything that is feeding into this moment and ask, what should it look like? What should allegiance to this black book look like here and now? This feels real authentic. And my prayer is that as we unpack more and more of it, you'll sense that that's the case. Faithful to God and who he is, revealed in his word, and authentic to who we are, when we are, where we are, and how we ought to be in this particular place, surrounded by these realities at this time. I've said before, and I'll say it again, we don't mean by putting it on paper and preaching on it and putting it out there that Every church ought to say it this way, these ways, or that they're somehow deficient if they don't use our language or divvy it up the way we do. I believe with all my heart that every single individual human being is absolutely unique. I think that's true physiologically. I think it's true personality. I think it's true as far as the, the mix of spiritual giftings go. It's just phenomenal, phenomenal how much variety God believes in. When you get a thousand of them together in one church and mix all of that uniqueness, there emerges a kind of dynamic, a kind of ethos, a kind of personality corporately and a spree decor that can't be copied anywhere in the world. And each church, therefore, has to figure out a way to say it and do it and be it the way they are. Without any pride, like you've got to do it the way we do it or sound like we sound. 
But then just do it. Humbly do it their way and just consider that's our little contribution to this massive thing called Christianity. And it is massive. I mean, India is a big place. And there are a lot of Hindi-speaking people. But there are millions of Christians in India that you've never heard of. There's a friends band, missionary band in India that plants more churches every week than probably is planted in America in a year. I mean, there are things going on around this world in this kingdom work that God has that if you knew about it, you realize that even though you walk in here and, oh, this is a nice building, you think, this is small. This is really, really small. So that to say we must be us and do it our way is just to say the little, little teeny weeny niche that God is calling Bethlehem to do in this world movement is us. It's just us. And it'll change, it'll adapt as us changes because more people come and we want to fold in more people and let their uniquenesses feed the, the brew and let the aroma come up and we sniff it out and it blows this way and we go that way for five years and say, the Holy Spirit's moving it this way, we go that way. But there are central things here on the first and second pages that uh, they abide pretty, pretty strong. How you say them can change from time to time. But this is faithful, we believe. And it is authentic, and therefore it smells like spring to me. And I believe God is in the business of doing something remarkable as about 14 subtask forces are taking this booklet and asking, praying, studying. Now, how do we do this? How do we make that real? How do you get words off the page, into the heart, and into action, in the community, in the church? How do you do that? And those will start coming back to the elders in a few weeks. And we'll put them all together. And we'll be putting them out to you. And by early next spring sometime, the, the bigger picture of the fleshing out of these things will be much more clear than it is now. Let's read together these 18 words on the front. By the way, if you don't have these, there are some, I think, in the pews on the hymnals. I see they are here. So if you didn't bring yours, I want you to bring them every Sunday if you have one. Uh, over the next uh, weeks. But if you didn't have one this morning, maybe you can reach for one and, and find one. And then most of us will be able to read. Let's read. This is our mission. These 18 words. I hope you'll know them by heart before we're done preaching on this booklet. So starting with the words to spread, let's read it out loud together. Our mission is to spread a passion for the supremacy of God in all things for the joy of all peoples. Now, last two weeks ago, two weeks ago, I unpacked that each phrase one at a time, gave biblical foundation for it, tried to explain how it applies to us. Now, let's go to page two inside front cover. This is called at the top here, the spiritual dynamic that drives our mission. This is the way the spirit of God in power will be released so that page one becomes possible. When you read page one, you might say, I don't know if I have that passion or I don't know if I see the supremacy of God or I don't know how to commend this to others for their joy. The how to begins on page two. And this is the spiritual how to. This is basic Christianity. I want us to read this together out loud. The spiritual dynamic that drives our mission. So reading together, starting with the words we join. Let's read it. We join God the Father 
in magnifying the supremacy of his glory through our Lord Jesus Christ in the power of the Holy Spirit by treasuring all that God is, loving all whom he loves, praying for all his purposes, meditating on all his word, sustained by all his grace. Now, you'll notice in the first couple of lines that the mission is simply repeated. We join God the Father in magnifying the supremacy of his glory. That's our mission. And we sang about it. I hope that you hear songs differently. Now, when you sing, glorify thy name in all the earth, you're not twisting God's arm to do something he doesn't want to do. We are joining God the Father in magnifying the supremacy of his glory. He's already committed himself 110% to do that. The whole earth is going to be filled with the glory of the Lord the way the waters cover the sea someday. God's infinite passion is to fill the earth and the universe with his glory. He is jealous for his glory to shine. And it should thrill you. It does me to know why the universe exists. To know why you are here. Why do you exist? I mean, what an awful thing to live not knowing what it's all about. To just, just say, this is chaos. It's meaningless. It's just evolutionary haze. And, and it's just going nowhere. I mean, if, if a person really believed that, you know what you'd have? Contemporary America. And where we're going. But you're not like that. You know from God's word why God exists and why he created a universe to exist. And it was that he might magnify the supremacy of his glory. And he created you to join him in highlighting, refracting like a prism, mirroring like a mirror, that glory to the world. That's why you exist and you'll do it forever and ever and ever with increasing effectiveness as sin gets wiped off of this besmirched mirror that was so defiled by the fall and by our own corruption. So it ought to thrill you that you know why you exist. We talked about that. And last week we took this next phrase through our Lord Jesus Christ. And I unpacked it for all I was worth. And I want to just rehearse for a moment what I said there, because I, as I thought about it again yesterday and prayed over, it, I said, I got to say this again in just a little different word so that if by any means we might get it. It is so crucial that we get this phrase through our Lord Jesus Christ. Because page one is impossible except through our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, what do I mean when I say that? And what I said last week that I meant was this. Jesus Christ came into the world to die for sinners. And had he not in dying for sinners absorbed the wrath of God into himself that was on those sinners, lifted the curse that was on those sinners, forgiven the sins that was making those sinners guilty, had he not done that, God's wrath would abide on me. And if God's omnipotent wrath abides on me, there is no way 
that I could ever be freed from my sins to delight in God and bring him glory. Never, ever. Could never happen. There's only one thing. I will carry my sins with me to the judgment and they will sentence me to hell and the wrath of God will burn me with justice forever. The only escape into the glory of God is the death of the Son of God. That was what we said last week. Through our Lord Jesus Christ means he sent his son in order that his son might bear his wrath and lift our curse and forgive our sins. Now, let me stop here for a minute and say it a different way by asking the question, what is Christianity? What is Christianity? The world, by and large, would interpret Christianity because of not seeing its essence as a system of moral improvement. And at our best, they're glad we exist. Because they say, well, at least they're in another movement that's trying for the moral improvement of society and overcoming all the problems that we face. And that's what Christianity is. And I want to emphatically say this morning, that is not what Christianity is. Christianity is not a system of moral improvement. Christianity is an act of God Almighty in history to remove the wrath of God Almighty from humanity and release into that humanity a righteousness that can deliver people for eternal life. Christianity is not good advice about how to live. It is good news about the way God acted in history. Since we're in the second service, I'm going to stick in this illustration. Um, Ray Bakke tells the story of the concentration camp where they had the Americans here. And I think over here were Europeans. And it was a German camp and it was a fence between. And these prisoners at one point in the day near the end of the war could walk by each other at the, at the uh, fence in the middle. And the Americans had a radio hidden transistor or some kind of radio. He says this is a true story. I'll take his word for it. And uh, they would share news about the, the advance of the war. And the news of the victory over Germany reached them before the forces to open the camp reached them. And as they walked by that day, they said with proper signs, it's over. The victory was won. And as they went back, these Europeans went back, this huge roar of uh, cheering went up from the camp. And the Germans wondered, what is that? And Reibachi said, that was the evidence of news. News came into the world. News came into the world. We do not go into Philip's neighborhood with advice. We go with news, news, news. God did something. God came into the world and triumphed over death. He triumphed over sin. He triumphed over his own wrath. The gospel, and here you may wonder, if you've been around a while and you may wonder, is the talk like supremacy of God and God's tenderness and the centrality of God and God's zeal for God? Is that kind of language that we hear coming out around this place? Is that just kind of a Baptist thing or a Piper thing or a, what is that? The answer is 
It's a gospel thing. Because, this is very important, brothers and sisters, the gospel is unintelligible apart from the centrality of God. Because the gospel is the work of God on God. Have you ever thought about that from Romans 3, 25 and 26? God put Christ forward to demonstrate the righteousness of God. That he might be both just and justifier of him who has faith in Jesus. The, the essence of the gospel is God's work on God. If you don't grasp the centrality of God, you can't understand the gospel. Because the gospel is news about rescue from wrath. Of course, if the wrath of God doesn't exist in your theology, you have no gospel. At least you don't have a biblical one. The gospel is rescue from a holy, just wrath poured out upon guilty sinners like me. My only hope is that God would undertake to affect God. And he did it by sending his son so that the, the wrath of God could be absorbed by God. The condemnation on sin by God could be absorbed by God. The guilt that I had under God could be removed by God. The forgiveness that I need from God could be granted by God in God in Christ. So that the curse of God on me could be removed by Jesus, Jesus, who is God. If you don't get it, if you don't get the fact that my main problem, let me say it this way. Christianity comes clear when you realize it exists to deal with the main problem in the universe, not the sub-problems in the universe. Not main, the sub-problems. What's the main problem in the universe? The main problem in the universe is that God is angry with sinners. I mean, have you ever stopped to imagine what it feels like to have an omnipotent being against you? Against you. There is no escape. You run here, you go into the rocks and you say, follow this, follow this, so we don't have to look at the wrath of the Lamb. Because there is no escape when omnipotent anger is against you. That's the main problem in the universe. What do you do with it? How do you rescue it? Not by moral improvement. Look, the main problem in the universe is not racial hostility. The main problem in the universe is not greed. It's not political corruption. It's not AIDS. It's not sexual misbehavior. It's not the breakdown of the family. Christianity doesn't exist to fix America. Christianity exists because God willed to rescue us from God. And he did it at the cost of his son's life. That's Christianity. Christianity is news that the bomb of wrath was eaten by Jesus and it exploded in his belly and killed him. And it will never then explode upon those who are in Christ. It's over. Judgment is past for those who are in Jesus. That's the gospel. Now, there are all kinds of moral spin-offs, but they are only spin-offs from this glorious news that God came into the world to avert the wrath of God from the children of God. That's the gospel.
That's what I was trying to get across last week. That's what's in this phrase. Through our Lord Jesus Christ. Christianity is not good advice. It's good news. Now, the question you need to ask is, and it's the question for this morning, how do you get in on that? Okay, if it happened in history, in Jesus Christ, if God poured out his wrath on Jesus, if he condemned sin in Jesus, if he forgave sin in Jesus, if he removed the curse in Jesus out there, outside ourselves. You know, Martin Luther was a, a wild-eyed, wonderful man. <laughs> I love Martin Luther. His mouth was so full of stuff he had to apologize for at the end of every day. He lived on grace moment by moment. But Luther was driven by the discovery of one little phrase. Maybe more than one, but at least this one. It's a little Latin phrase. You may have never heard it before. Extra nos. Outside ourselves. See, he, he had grown up in a system of religion where almost everything hung on what was going on in here. This is all this. And he didn't have a great, massive tower outside himself into which to flee with all this junk that's going on in here. A tower that could protect him from the righteous wrath of God. And when he discovered the gospel, that God came into history and did it extra enough. The cross is, you know when the cross was? Not yesterday, but 1900 plus years ago. And that's where it ended, folks. Sin was paid for at the cross. Guilt was lifted at the cross. Curses were removed at the cross. Wrath was averted and absorbed at the cross. And now here we are saying, okay, so I am a sinner. I would really like to be a part of that. I would like to be in that. I want to get in that tower. I want to get in that fortress so that the wrath is not on me. It's like this hurricane that Noel and I and the boys went through. Not as bad as the last one that went through Pensacola, but we were in Pensacola in, in August when Aaron went through. Uh, and the winds were only about 80 miles an hour outside. And they were knocking over trees about four times as thick as that post right there. And one of them just sheared off the end of the house where we were hiding in the bathroom. And the mirror fell off the wall and Abraham caught it like this. And those were... Um, Anxious moments. And, and it stopped. Just stopped. And we walked outside. It was blue sky. And there was no wind. And it was carnage everywhere. Just about every house had a tree on top of it. And then the radio said, all right, go back inside. Because the back side will be worse than the front side. We were in the eye of the hurricane. It was still. It was blue sky. It was foamy. This is what Florida's supposed to be like. And we went back inside and <laughs> roared through for about another hour. You know what the eye of the hurricane is? It's peace with God. It's being in that finished work. It's being in the blood, in the atonement, in the love. And the hurricane is the wrath, the righteous, holy, just indignation of God. And you can live within it, safe. Inside. Getting inside Jesus. So the question is, how do you get in it? Now the biblical answer is real plain. You get in it by faith. 
I'm going to just read you three verses. Romans 3.28. We maintain that a man is justified by faith apart from works of the law. Now, justified, big, wonderful, glorious, biblical word for having wrath averted. The sentence is no longer on you of guilt. The uh, curse is removed and the righteousness of Christ is imputed to you. And the judge is no longer a harsh, wrathful uh, creator, but is a loving father whose smile is upon you, whose own son was your advocate, ready to lay down his life, that you might escape this lifelong sentence. And you're acquitted. That's justification. And that's by faith. Or Romans 5.1, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God. There's the eye of the storm. We have peace with God. Or one more, Galatians 2.16, we know that a man is not justified by works of the law by which we try to show ourselves meritorious or deserving. Not by works of the law, but through faith in Christ Jesus. Now, here's the question you need to ask. You should ask me, well, if the biblical answer to the how do you get into the power of the spirit and into the work that Jesus Christ did so that you can magnify the supremacy of God? Why didn't you say by faith? Why did you say by treasuring all that God is? That's the question you should have right now. Because as a master planning team, we wrestle with that. How should we say it? And I admit that I pressed for these words. And I want to give you three reasons why. This is, no, this is by faith. That's what that sentence means. Treasuring all that God is, is our definition of faith. But now let me, let me give you three reasons why we chose to say it that way, rather than use the biblical word by faith from these three verses. Reason number one. I've been at this church 15 years, and I've lived in this neighborhood Three years in Elliott Park neighborhood, about four blocks that way, and uh, 12 years in Phillips neighborhood, about four blocks that way. And I have talked to a lot of people on the street about Jesus. And I've had a lot of people in my office dealing with their soul about Jesus. And you know what? This may be an overstatement, but not quite. Only a little bit. I can't remember anybody... I've ever met who doesn't believe in Jesus. Drunks believe in Jesus. Prostitutes believe in Jesus. Liars and thieves believe in Jesus. New Agers believe in Jesus. I don't meet people who don't believe in Jesus. Their lives are just 180 degrees against him. That's all. I find the language of believing useless in this neighborhood. I don't know what to do about that. It's risky business to say a precious biblical phrase is useless in your evangelism. Believe in Jesus and you will be saved. Acts 16.31. I do that. Oh. It's like the Jehovah's Witnesses came to my door on on Saturday morning. I get one by every three weeks. They don't keep record, evidently. Or either they think I'm a... They'll get me one of these days. But I learned something new. I want to commend it to you. These two people, and uh, they begin by saying, we're here talking about the problems in society, and, and uh, 
from the Bible and we just wanted it. Do you think about how bad it is in society? Oh, I think a lot about it. Do you believe, do you believe that, that, that there's a coming kingdom will be righteous? Oh, I sure do. I sure do. I think Jesus Christ is going to bring his kingdom in. The son of God. And then she, she looked surprised. She said, do you believe it's going to be a literal earthly kingdom? Which is one of their real sticking points. I say, I sure do. Lions are going to lie down with lambs and, and bears are going to eat straw like an ox. And, and uh, Jesus Christ is going to reign. She was so flabbergasted that I believed in that, that she just handed me the track and left. Now, I blew it. I, I, I was so busy with my sermon. This is awful. It's a testimony, failure. I regard this as failure. I am just so ungifted in this thing. Pray for me. <laughs> Pray for me that God would... Here's what I should have said. I should have said... How do you... I should have said, Do you expect to go there? And she would have said yes. And I would have said, How? How? And I think we would have gotten right to the core of the issue of how you get right with God and enter his kingdom forever. And I, I didn't. I'm, I'm just so bent on getting rid of Jehovah's Witnesses from my door that I, that I don't love them like I ought and spend the time. I mean, I have in the past. I have. I've prayed with some and I've spent three hours with some. But yesterday it was just got to get this sermon done. They say they believe in Jesus. Everybody believes in Jesus. So what are you going to say? What language do you use? Well, treasuring all that God is, is, I believe, a more provocative way and a more helpful way of getting at what is required. Let me say it another way. This is still on reason number one. In the church, this is a bigger concern for me even, because it affects how we do evangelism. In the church, I think there are, in America, many people who think they're saved and are not saved because they do not understand what belief in Jesus is. They have come to think that it is a decision made with the head about some Biblical doctrinal facts like Jesus died for my sin. And they say, oh, I want my sins to be forgiven. And so I will believe that because I don't want to go to hell. But if you ask them, is Jesus an infallible marriage counselor for you? Is Jesus an infallible counselor concerning your sex life? Is Jesus your best friend that you love to spend time with? Is Jesus a, a person who makes no mistakes in his investment counseling and in how you use your money? And they kind of look at you. I mean, do you believe him? Do you believe him? Or do you say, I don't like your advice about fornication. I don't like your advice about money. I don't like your advice about use of my vacation. I don't like your advice about television. I don't like your advice about how I should love my wife. But I want your forgiveness, and so I believe that you died for my sin. You're not a Christian if that is your relationship to Jesus. Because Jesus is a person, not a select groups of doctrine, one of which you can have and reject all the others. You can't say, I want 
10% of Jesus, the forgiveness part, and nothing else. You don't have Jesus if you carve off a little arm or a little leg and just take that. So that's my Jesus and put it up there like a little, little hand on the, on the mantle. And just, oh, thank you for forgiving me for my sins. And then just walk into the world as though he is nothing. This, this way of describing faith, treasuring all that God is, keeps us from making that mistake. And I'm real eager that we not make that mistake because Jesus warned, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not this and did we not that? And he will say, depart from me, you workers of iniquity. I never knew you. And they will be. I went to church all my life. That's reason number one. Reason number two for using this phrase, treasuring all that God is, is because it gets at the future dimension of faith. You see, this is almost all saying the same thing, but coming at it from different sides. Faith, for many people, is entirely a backward activity. They turn around and they look at history and they say, there's the cross. He loved me. He sent his son to die for me. I believe that. And then as they turn to the future, and by future I mean the end of this sermon, this afternoon, tonight, and 10,000 years from now, they turn to the future and they're all anxiety and confusion and they wonder what will become of life and how can there be hurricanes and how can there be cancer and how can there be this? Uh, where's God? Well, he's back there forgiving my sins 2,000 years ago. He's nowhere out here. His promises mean nothing. His sovereignty over the universe is Emotionally insignificant. Faith, brothers and sisters, is not mainly past-oriented. It is mainly future-oriented. If you say to me, John, I trust you as a pastor. You know what? That means nothing about my past. Except if I have done things in the past to warrant that. Which is what Jesus did. Jesus acted in such a way as to warrant our trust for the future. If you say, I trust you, John, what you mean is, from now on, I can count on you. You don't mean you did something right in the past, except that that rightness might have kindled trust. So that's, way, that's the way it is with God. When you say, Jesus, I trust you. Father, I trust you. What you mean is, this afternoon's going to work out. It's going to work out. I can rest. Be anxious for nothing. Let your request be made known to God for the future and the peace of God that passes understanding will guard your hearts and minds by the promises of the future. Do you trust His promises is the issue. This phrase, treasuring all that God is, means treasuring all that God is for us now and forever. He's going to be forever. And he's going to be for you forever. The key verse. Last Sunday, this Sunday, and every Sunday is Romans 8.32. He who did not spare his own son. There it is. He didn't spare his own son 2,000 years ago. This glorious once for all act in history. He didn't spare his own son, but gave him up for us all. How then will he not freely with him in the future give us all? The cross of Christ is the foundation of faith in future grace. Read the book. Please read the book. It's my whole message. It's so crucial 
that we learn to trust future grace and live by faith in future grace. That's reason number two for using this language. Reason number three for saying treasuring all that God is instead of by faith is this. Jesus said in John 6.35, I am the bread of life. He who comes to me shall not hunger. And he who believes in me, believes in me, shall never thirst. He who comes to eat the bread of life and he who believes on the living water will never thirst. Can you think of a better way of saying it than treasuring all that God is for us in Jesus? Believing is a drinking unto satisfaction. Believing is a coming to eat. Believing is a coming to drink. Believing is what happens when you find the fountain of life and that all the other stuff in the world are broken cisterns and you kneel down and you put your face in Jesus, the fountain of life, and you and, and thirst is satisfied and it is so satisfying that you never decisively turn away to the broken cisterns again, which is why saving faith inevitably changes your life. If you just believe in forgiveness, and I've met so many people, it is so sad, who think that they can live like the devil while having God's forgiveness because he just forgive and forgive and forgive and they don't care how they live. If you define saving faith as a coming to Jesus as a satisfying fountain, then the power of sin to allure you away from him is severed. You see why this phrase is so important? Treasuring all that he is. We have to find a way to describe saving faith so that people on the street get it. So that saints in the room are not self-deceived. And so that it has a power in our life to free us from sin. Those are my three reasons for why we went with treasuring all that God is rather than by faith. Because that is what faith in the Bible is. Now, one last question before we're done. You should now ask, and I should ask, what's that got to do with this next line? Loving all whom he loves. How does treasuring all that God is relate to loving all whom he loves through the power of the Holy Spirit and what Christ did on the cross so that we can magnify the supremacy of God? Here's the answer. God wants to fill the earth with his glory, right? Habakkuk? No. What verse is it? Did I write it down? Habakkuk 2.14. The earth will be filled with the glory of the Lord the way the waters come to the sea. He wants to fill the earth with his glory. You know what? Faith, treasuring all that God is, is invisible. You see it. God will not be content with invisible glorification of his name. Believe me, when you treasure God, you glorify God. He can see it. The angels can probably see it. Maybe the devil can see it and tremble. But I can't see it. If every one of you right now was treasuring God to the full, I couldn't see it. There might be little evidences of it in the way you listen and, and the way you look, but not much. You know how faith or treasuring God becomes visible? Love. Loving other people. And I get that from Galatians 5, 6, which says, 
neither circumcision nor uncircumcision is of any avail, but faith working through love. Faith works through love. Love is the visibility of faith. Now, why is that? And there again, this word treasuring is all important. Because what keeps you from loving, make a list. Just make a list right now in your head. What keeps you from loving the way you want to love? Fear, depression, self-pity, greed, lust, bitterness, anger, all six and more. They keep us from loving the way we want to love. What overcomes those things? Answer, being satisfied with all that God is for you in Jesus. Because once you come to Jesus as a fountain and you start drinking in, you don't need to hold a grudge anymore. He's going to take care of that. You don't need to worry about getting egg on your face anymore when you venture out in a new way. He loves you so much and his promises are going to work everything together for your good. And you go right down the list of every obstacle to love. And faith overcomes it, which means faith works through love. And love is the evidence of faith. Jesus said, Bethlehem, you are a city set on a hill. No one lights a lamp and puts it under a bushel, but on a lampstand that it may give light to all in the house. Let your light so shine that men may see your what? Good works or good deeds. And do what? Give glory to your Father in heaven. How does the glory of God shine to people so that they can see it and give glory to our Father? Good deeds. Practical manifestations of love. Which brings me to the end on page three. You see this column on page three here? I just want to close with this now. I really want you to feel how everything hangs together in this booklet, because this, I believe, is a work of God. It's not infallible. It could probably be improved in many ways. But God's fingerprints are on this booklet. And this little column right here shows you how it all hangs together. Our mission and spiritual dynamic declare that the all satisfying supremacy of God shines most brightly through sacrificial deeds of joyful love. That's Matthew 516. That's Bible. The cry of the Holy Spirit in the hearts of our people is for a fresh, decisive emphasis on relationships of love. Why? Why is that so central in this document? Not just because we need work on this. And we do, and I do, personally. It's so central because it's the evidence of treasuring God. Which is the flow from God's value, which comes to us through Jesus Christ in the power of the Holy Spirit. It all hangs together. And that, those last words at the bottom, therefore, and this is my closing exhortation. Would you do this? Would you turn this into a prayer as we close and all week long? Make this booklet your prayer guide for the coming several months. Therefore, we eagerly embrace God's call for new Visible manifestations of love. We got a whole committee on that sentence right now. There's a group of people who care so much about that sentence that they're going to come to us and say, here are some new things we can do. 
New visible manifestations of love toward each other, our guests, our neighbors, with a fresh openness and outgoing spirit to each other and to all new people. We henceforth, now I plead with you on this because there are still controversial things going on among us. This is controversial in some of its parts, and therefore this is here with a plea. We henceforth put understanding above accusation, forbearance above fault finding. Biblical unity, which is a lot of diversity in it. Biblical unity above the demand for uniformity. I hope that against the backdrop of this morning's sermon about the gospel, about through Jesus Christ, about the Holy Spirit, about treasuring all that God is for us and about love, this will feel real important. This is not icing on the cake of Christianity. Lord, as we close, I want to thank you for loving us, for rescuing us from your wrath. You have made a way into freedom and peace and joy through the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ, who absorbed the wrath and lifted the curse and took away the guilt and forgave the sins. And by faith, by resting, by treasuring, by drinking, And liking, we are in the tower of safety. Lord, thank you so much for welcoming us as ungodly sinners just on the basis of thirst being satisfied in you. Dismiss us now to live love. In Jesus' name I pray. And all the people said, Amen.